rest and recovery for a warrior is to go to work. Man, that is powerful. Making humans better. That's right, it is making humans better back again. I am the Rick Diamond, accompanied by Evan Derb, as always. How's it going today, Evan? It's going really good, Rick. Going, it, man, I, I can't complain one bit. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I do have a complaint about this week. Okay. okay. A CrossFit related complaint. You know, I've been hearing about this storm coming, and it's called Cindy, tropical storm coming to Louisiana. Every time I hear it on TV, or on the radio or wherever I'm listening, you're like, Cindy's coming, Cindy's coming, and I jump. And that's how you know you're an extreme CrossFitter, right? I'm like, Cindy's here! And uh, then I have to realize they're talking about the storm, and I'm like, maybe that's why the Friday workout isn't up on the board, because it's Cindy. Is it Cindy Friday? It's not, I assure you that, but that's actually a funny concept. When Coach Glassman originally founded CrossFit, a lot of people have noticed some of these workouts are named after females. And he'd said that, we named Fran or some of these other these named workouts after women because nothing else can leave you lying on your back wondering what the heck happened. And it's kind of the same way we name hurricanes and tropical storms. So that's uh, you feel that way be, uh, because that is the intent. It's to strike terror into your heart. And uh, at least it's not tropical storm Fran, which would be yeah, untenable. I'd be even worse. But uh, Cindy, uh, the workout, and Cindy, the storm could both be considered an adversity, right? And that's what we're talking about today is adversity and how we as humans overcome adversity and how it advances us as humans. Now, Evan, I know you you told me before we went on the air, all this may sound like crazy talk, but adversity can actually make you stronger. I mean, we we call it adversity because we ascribe a meaning to it, but adversity is just the act of overcoming something that you thought previously you couldn't do. And it's the concept of you want to run a little bit faster, you got to run faster. You want to be stronger and lift heavier weights, you got to lift heavier weights. You always need to push that envelope. And uh, when we hear it, to embrace adversity and embrace the suck or embrace suffering, it's something that our comfort center goes, ugh, gross. But Every person that understands advancing your position knows that you constantly use your compass to follow the, the heading that is the least comfortable to you, and that's what produces the largest results. So adversity, for those who don't know, is defined as difficulties or misfortune in life, and I think we all have those, right? We all go through that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd, uh, two years ago, I'd had colon cancer, and I, I, I got the diagnosis at a very young age and living a healthy life. and. You start to question why and why me, but I, I saw crossroads in my own mind and heart. And instead of asking why me, my question was, how do I get through it? And I did transpose a lot of that to my faith. And my other question was, what does what am I supposed to learn from this? God, what do you have for me to learn from this situation? Because it sucks having cancer. It sucks even worse if you take on cancer with a bad attitude because you're already going to be going through the fight for your life. You might as well do it with a joyful heart. So we said adversity makes you better. Let's put that to the test. Let's say, let's say that having cancer didn't come with a risk of getting it again, right? An increased risk. Let's say that and just say you're done completely with cancer. Would you go back and uh, if you could erase that cancer? No, never. 
I would never erase any hardship I've ever been through, no matter how painful it was or how much damage it did to my body or mind. Because without it, I wouldn't be where I am today. I'm actually grateful that I got cancer. And that sounds, that sounds crazy. But it's a concept that I have learned to totally appreciate. And I, when I do my gratitude exercise in the morning, I thank God for the hardships and adversity I've had because it has made me into the man I am right this second. And it's making me into the man I'm going to be in the future. So if I took that away, it would remove every single victory I, I had throughout that suffering. So it was through that suffering that it made me a better person. It's a refining process. You know, you take ore, smelt it down, heat it up, smash it, and then you get your precious metals out of that ore. And that's the same concept with something like cancer. So having cancer made you a better human. Would you say that for everybody who, who goes through something like that? Do they always come out better or are there exceptions? You know, I... I don't know. I don't think... I think it depends on your mindset with it. So I if do, you have a negative attitude the whole time, you might not come out better, but if you have a positive attitude like you did uh, and others that we know here at CrossFit have uh, had in their cancer battles, you think it would always make you come out better? Yeah, I do. I do. And uh, even even down to like the little details of where we have something bad happen to us and we go, oh, why me? How could this happen to me? And in my own experience, that is asking the wrong question. When you ask, to ask why me is a very selfish question. And uh, to, instead of going, okay, personally, cancer was the best teacher I ever had. Cancer is such a powerful force. It inexorably moves forward. It never complains. It doesn't waver from its purpose to take over the body and destroy it. And it is so powerful, you have to pump your body full of chemicals and radiation and cut out parts of it just to have it survive because cancer is that powerful. And there's lessons I take from cancer to be, to try to take over everything, to be inexorable, to never stop, and to just lean into every single threat you face because it is survival. Why do you think it, it made you better though? Aside from it just being adversity and uh, unadversity and you overcoming it, what specifically about cancer made you now want to wake up more determined than you did before you had it? It's nothing about cancer itself, but it was how I approached it. It was pure willpower. Uh, it's like I got, you know, you're, you're sparring with somebody and you're supposed to be going 50% and they punch you in the face at, at like 80% and then you go, oh, you can either go, hey, don't hit me again or you go, okay. You don't say anything to the other guy. You go, now it's a fight. And then you start throwing blows back until one of you mm -hmm. quits. And my mindset, the only gift I feel like God truly gave me is I'm too dumb to stop. I'm just going to, I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to fight until it quits. Cancer quit. Uh, I, it's just that it's pure will to power. I will, I will come out on the other side better than I came in. And it might look differently than I think in this moment, but I need I need this struggle to overcome it, to become stronger, or else I'm not growing. Right now, I don't know much about Spartans, but that's something else we're going to talk about right now, and how they uh, see adversities 
and how they want to overcome obstacles. Uh, they've got an intense, or they had an intense training program yeah. for their young ones. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I watched 300, but that's about all I know. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most famous depiction of it. And we look at it and kind of romanticize it, and we go, oh, that would be cool to do that until you would actually have to do something that they did. Um, they lived in a constant state of want and privation. They were they would intentionally underfeed them and cut their rations, cut their water, and then, you know, confine them to quarters with the expectation that they would try to sneak out and steal food or steal water and steal equipment. And if they got caught, they were punished severely in front of everybody. And they weren't punishing them for stealing. They were punishing them for getting caught. They were teaching by lack that to for these young men and, and even women, they sent some of the girls had their own version of it, but they would teach them that if you want something, you can't rely on someone else to give it to you because it's worthless if it's given to you. You earn it and you do it in a way that is going to build a skill set that you're going to need for a battle. And that's one of the reasons those that lifetime of training in that mindset is what produced those mighty warriors that live on history. We'll never remember their exact names, but no one will ever forget the Battle of Thermopylae or any of these other engagements that the Spartans were able to overcome overwhelming odds with very little equipment. Yeah, and what is this about the agage you were telling? Is that how you say it? The the agage probably or? is. I'd, okay. I'd call it agage, but agage. It's probably agage. I don't okay. I don't speak Greek. The 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 agage or gage is it started at seven years old, and uh, at seven they they would put these guys intentionally underfed, encouraging them to steal food, and. This was twofold. It, it taught them that skill set to be sly, to be crafty, and to produce that mental toughness and endurance that they can go for a longer time with less food, with lack. But it also kept them from being fat. Uh, so they would intentionally starve these guys and then train them like animals, have them fight constantly. They were con constantly accustomed to hunger, and this prevented hunger from ever being a problem during battle. And if you study ancient history, a lot of the issues that larger militaries had was maintaining supply lines. So your supply line to feed a huge army, you know, these, these thousands, tens of thousands of men, it, it would stretch for miles. And that's where, if you were a smart commander, you would attack their supply lines to try to starve the troops. But these guys were used to being starved. So in battle, they go, oh, this is easier than what we did our entire lives in training. They were probably fatter and happier in, in combat than they were even back in uh, their training environment, which that's ultimately, and that's, that's how a lot of the military, elite military forces are trained. They say we make, it's, it's the old quote, bloodless, bloody practices make for bloodless battles. So we make training twice as hard as warfare. So when you get to warfare, you realize it's, this is easy. Well, you said they don't feed them for one reason being, so they don't get fat and sure that probably worked, but they're not going to be able to get strong either. And sure, they're not counting macros back in the, the Spartan days, but still, we, we all know you've got to eat a lot to build that muscle. How did they stay strong if they were being starved? I don't, I don't know exactly, but I, I don't think it has anything to do with necessarily the physiological component. It's the, the psychology and mental state that those guys were in. Where if you guys have ever tried this, I've, I've, I've done this for years, and it sucks. You train fasted. I don't eat 
and I usually don't eat till about 1 p.m. I stop eating around 8, eat at 1 p.m. So I do my first workout of the day at noon, and uh, my glycogen stores are almost gone. So picking up a bar or running or doing a pull-up, you immediately feel a pull and a voice in your head that tells you to quit. But over years of training through that, when I do eat before I train, I feel like a, a Superman. It's like having, it's like wearing a kryptonite belt buckle and then taking that sucker off and going, okay, let's fight. And then you will become a terrifying individual. And I am nothing close to what those guys were. But that concept right there, like putting a weight vest on, walking around with it all day and then taking it off and going, okay, let's fight now. It, they always had themselves an obstacle to conquer even in their daily activities that other people would consciously find, I'm training now, now I'm training. Those guys were always training, so they never had to turn it on because it was always on. I think that one of the reasons, probably the main reason, we hold the Spartans so high up in, in today's society here in the USA and probably elsewhere in the world too. I'm not totally sure how they view them in England or wherever, Australia and whatnot. But here, you know, when we think of... Uh, of militarized societies, we may put them at the top of the list, right? Mm -hmm. Ancient militarized societies. And part of that is probably because of adversity, right? Totally. A lot of that is how we train elite military. If you've ever talked to somebody who's been to ranger school or any portions of special operations, special forces training, Navy SEAL training and force recon and uh, MARSOC, they intentionally deprive you of sleep and food. It's not about hurting the soldier, hurting the service member, hurting the candidate. It's about making them realize that the meaning you ascribe to being hit or being hungry is more powerful than the actual feeling of being hungry. So if you go, it's not that bad. I know they're not going to starve me to death. I'm not going to die here. I'm, I'm going to eat something. I'm going to figure out a way to get it. And it's it's even a concept in in our faith. Most people don't turn to God when things are great. Where do most people get on their knees and start actually making a change in their life? When they hit rock bottom. Nobody needs to change unless it's painful. So if you always make it painful and that suffering with a joyful heart becomes your, your normal, then you start to stop caring about my internet slow or I got cut off in traffic or gosh, I'm late. You start to take ownership. You know, I'm late. Traffic is always bad and I'm blaming it on traffic. I was late because I left the house too late because I was jacking around. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. So that's one thing cancer gave me and that same training with these cats. It, w it allowed me the opportunity to see what was important and what was not and prioritize targets. So I was always focused on the end mission to become better, to survive for my wife and kids and for those people in my gym that we train. Nobody came, nobody wants to come in to a gym and train and hear about my woes. Well, we always adapt to our environment. If our environment's negative, we're going to be negative. If yes. it's positive, it's positive. If our environment is extreme, like you're talking about, we're out in the woods and left to starve, we become extreme or we die, right? Exactly, 100%. And that, that concept of adaptation, we use it in training, CrossFit. Uh, and it's even like one of the big arguments against college as a necessary step into adulthood, where instead of having an, an agogy or the right way to say it, um, we produce an extended adolescence period where people are, they don't have to work, they can take out loans that are largely subsidized by the taxpayer for lower than market interest rates. They are, and then they're even coddled in that environment saying, it's not right that we have to pay all this money for college to just to get a degree. No one's forcing anyone to do that. And I'm not knocking college. I think college is, is great in its own right, but what purpose is it for? If we're suffering 
needlessly without direction. It's it's then it produces psychic pain. There was a uh, a, a gentleman who'd survived a concentration camp, and he he'd stated when he wrote a book afterwards. I forgot his name. I should look it up and put it in the notes. But he said that suffering is universal, but pain is optional. So we will all go through suffering at some point, but when we decide it, that it becomes pain is our choice. So when we go, this is terrible, I hate this, it's, you just, you have to let it go and let it flow through you and become that pain and that suffering in that moment. And it doesn't define you, it's, you are defined by how you deal with it. You're not, you don't get to choose the hand you're dealt, you only get to choose how you're playing it. Well, and what we've talked about so far has been adversity that's put on someone by someone else. Yes. Right? Here, what we do at CrossFit, we put it on ourselves. Correct. So is ours even more effective than that? Because we're doing this to ourselves. We can stop at any time. We can fake sick, go run into the bathroom, and never come back in this place. Uh, yeah, that's actually a... that's a. There's some layers to that. Is it more effective? It... It depends on the progression of the human. For somebody who has an advanced concept of suffering and suffering with joy, that it will make them better. But for a newer person, I believe it's also making them better because if they quit and go to the bathroom because they, you know, quote unquote got sick or they're running and they had to stop and tie their shoe, as long as they know in their heart and follow that conviction that they go, I could have gone harder or I didn't need to tie my shoe. And as long as they are self-aware of that exact moment and then continually try to improve that, they're never going to turn into a Spartan overnight. But over days and weeks and months and years of training in that method, yeah, of course it's going to make them a better person. It's No one deadlifts a 1,000 pounds just by walking up to a 1,000-pound bar and picking it up, never deadlifting. It's years and years and years of training, conditioning the body. And that concept of embracing your suffering and going, where do I need to improve? And even seeking out others, like mentors to say, like a coach at CrossFit or a pastor or a a business mentor and saying, where am I wrong? And doing that honestly and then taking that advice as part of you, that's where the growth happens, where we decide like, okay, now it's time for me to step up and, and mature in this process and enjoy it. Well, on Monday, uh, I coached a class here at CrossFit and someone asked me how they thought, or how I thought they did in the workout because they're new. And I said, I thought you did great, you know, but I would have liked to have seen you gone a little harder. And I explained to her, it's because if you're not on the ground, if you're not huffing and puffing after a workout, you didn't give it everything you had. You left some of it out there. Yeah. You know, and that's what that's what I want to get through to everybody is uh, after I do a workout, even if I scale it, especially if I scale it, I'm going as hard as I can to make up for that, right? I'm going to be on the floor after that workout. I'm not going to be... Uh, jumping up and down five minutes afterwards. I got to take some recovery time for it. Some serious recovery time. Oh yeah. That and that is a, and that's a comp- complaint I've had from folks that have done CrossFit for a little while, and they uh, they'll say, you know, I wish the workouts were harder. And and then this is a person I'll ask them honestly, well, are you on the top three of the leaderboard every time? And they go, well, no. I'm like, well, do you do every workout as prescribed? No, I don't do that. So. You don't need harder workouts. You need to go harder in the workouts you're in. Even even the act of saying I need a harder workout, if you're not if you're not Rich Froning or LeBlanc Bazinet or some of these other, you know, top tier CrossFitters, you're you don't need a harder workout. Just you need to just do more 
in the workout you're in. You don't need two a days for two hours a piece. If you're doing a sub two minute Fran, that's pretty freaking awesome. And you're not gonna need much more training in that day because you don't have the physiological or mental capacity to do it. So yeah, but that looks different for everybody. We all are gonna have different objective outputs, but subjectively we should just be we should be done because there's nothing left in us at the end of that. So you're saying a sub two minute Fran, if you do that one time in a day, that's all you need. Yes, but to get to that point, there are so many other inputs. That person has trained a diligent perspective of their conditioning, their efficiency, their movement patterns, their range of motion, their kinesthetic awareness. There's so many other factors that got to it. So yes, but that to get there, they did a lot more. We talked about leveling up last week, and we said you have to overcome obstacles to level up. Well, adversities, that's all they are. They're obstacles, right? Uh, this is the same exact thing. Now that you know how to overcome this particular adversity, you can overcome it again even easier. Now, uh, maybe with your case with, with cancer, it might be a little different because uh, you can't just say, oh, I've done this before. I got this. You know what I mean? It, it's a little different than, uh, than being faced with a workout and saying, I know how to pace myself here. But do you think, let's say you got uh, it resurfaced, right? Do you think this time would be easier for you because you've done it once before? Yes, not for the reason that because you would tell yourself, oh, this I've done it before, I can do it again. That's I feel to a degree that's a false bravado. But knowing when I when I went through cancer, people say you take it one day at a time, and and I've heard people state that uh, when you're going through hard times, just take it one day at a time. I honestly took it five minutes at a time, and I'd go, and I went through some dark dark times and it, even saying it now it sounds like I went through it easily my god it's like saying oh I have a two minute friend it's not that easy every five minutes I would go do I want to quit and I would say no I don't want to quit and then I would go another five minutes do I want to quit it was and that is mentally exhausting but Josh Bridges had talked about that in uh, an interview I'd seen years ago where his trick is when you're exhausted he does five reps and say do you want to quit no do another five reps or alternately, I've heard other folks talk about burpees. You can always do one more burpee. When people are standing around with their hands on their hips, huffing and puffing, they don't need to do that. They just could move slower through their burpees and continue to move and generate forward momentum versus stopping and then having to start again. Imagine running a marathon that way. It would suck. Just run slower, lean into your target and get there instead of stopping and resting and then picking up again. Fair enough. I'm going to play the role of a skeptic right here, though. Sure. A skeptic of everything you're talking about. We don't level up when we overcome obstacles, right? I'm going to play that role here. Sure. Now, let's say someone, why? Why is someone who's had cancer five times die when they get it the sixth time? Why isn't it easier for them to beat it? Why don't they become immune to it? You'll never get immune to adverse. You'll never get immune to bad things happening or to unfortunate things happening or to things that don't fall into your plan. Sometimes people, I, I, I honestly, you get to a point with cancer and this is a question that I've had to ask myself. I do have a genetic risk for cancer that goes really high. And there's times during cancer and if I can see how if people are alone, they decide that I've done enough in my life and it's it's my time, you know, you. you they believe it's it's their time and they've run a good race and they want to go out on that note. 
it's different for every human with in that respect but even the act of fighting five times through and fighting like a demon on that sixth time and then having it overtake you because it's just such a progressive disease that is still an inspiring factor if you look at somebody like steve jobs if you read and watch some of the interviews with him towards the end of his life some great great life lessons that he was very generous to share with everybody very personal stuff i don't even like to listen to some of them because it hits so close to my heart and but it's it's good stuff he's being so real because all the bs of our life is stripped away the you know big proud face we put on and like you know chin up he 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 said some really deep and truthful things that in a lot of ways were beautiful but tragic at the same time so instead of worrying about us sometimes through our fighting and losing we inspire others by our tenacity the 300 at thermopylae and the movie three the the movie that the 300 movie is about those spartans they didn't win that battle but that movie is going to live on forever as as the history and legend of those men will live on forever because not because they won but because they refused to they refused to give up until they were they were wiped out well i want to talk about the other adversities that we've both faced uh I think cancer is definitely your biggest one, for sure. Uh, are there any others that you can think of that have helped you get to this point and level up? Hmm. Yeah, I don't even think cancer was my biggest one. It was the really. Hmm. It was the one I dealt with at the time, but I—I I mean, I had an upbringing that wasn't very stable. You know, I, I was a troubled youth. I I had lived in a group home for a while. Uh, I grew up in the New Orleans area and didn't run with the best crowd of people and was exposed to a lot of things that some people never will get exposed to. And, but even in that, I never gave up. It wasn't ever easy and there was dark points in my life. Uh, Military service, both through training and then deployments. You know, you see... You see, you'll see terrible things, horrible things happening. You don't know if you're going to live the next moment, but you're not. I'm not thinking about the next moment. I'm in the perfect present in that moment, and uh, I, I embrace it. I remember there was one contact we were in. We were patrolling in a poppy field. If anybody's ever been to Afghanistan, the fields of poppies will stretch for miles, and they're beautiful when they flower. But when they they bud up is when they start harvesting the opium from those. And we were patrolling through the fields, and we were pinned down by a fixed machine gun emplacement and uh we're, you're in a field just a dirty ass field and i threw my i remember we you die for cover and the only way i could dive because the guy in front of me dove in such a way that i had to dive backwards or i'm wearing a medical pack and my face is probably seven to ten inches from the top of this poppy poppy stalk and i see machine gun fire raking over these poppies and these seeds are exploding over my face and it was a, a beautiful moment i felt everything slowed down in my life and I wasn't even scared. And I just said a prayer to God. I'm like, thank you. If this is where it ends, thank you for this, Lord. But let me take one of those guys with me before I go so I don't go alone. And we, thank God we had a Predator drone on station that was able to drop a Hellfire missile into that position. And we were able to effectively assault the enemy. But it was never even scary in that moment. It was that, that experience. I, I remember I was, I had that just sense of relief wash over me and it's going to be okay. And, uh, even at, during cancer and even post, we had 
stuff within our own business where I won't go into detail, but we dealt with some pretty terrible things with some people we'd known and that we trusted and, and had given a lot to. But even through that, that situation only served to make myself, my wife, our family and our team stronger. And without those ostensibly terrible things happening, we wouldn't be where we are today. It has improved our life by every metric for every hardship we've overcome. And uh, the concept of getting over hardship, if we don't allow people hardship to face and overcome, it fosters a moral dependence and it atrophies our ability to handle interpersonal matters on our own. Uh, and it also weakens the individual, which weakens the society and produces people that don't have a moral compass, don't have an ethical consideration when they do stuff. And that truly becomes selfish because we're trying to keep people from being uncomfortable. We try to foster our children, put them in a bubble so they grow up to be adults who aren't prepared for the real world. And they throw tantrums and burn down buildings when, you know, presidential candidates win. It's, it's not, and this isn't about politics, but to, re to react in that manner, it's not healthy and it's not honest. And we're, we're seeing an extension where adults act that way, where they throw a tantrum like a child because something didn't go their way. It's because they were never given the opportunity to overcome adversity from a young age. I think so many people that it becomes, they become what they do instead of who they are. So they're so focused on, I am a Dem I'm a liberal Democrat. I'm a conservative Republican. And that becomes their identity where it, it becomes a classic case of in-group, in-group uh, excuse-making and privilege-given, and then out-group discrimination, where anybody that's not part of the tribe is, is evil, and anybody in the tribe is good no matter what they do. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't personally see how that will ever produce a healthy society by having anything like that. So unless we, unless we have a, an, an identity, and that's one of the, the, the powers of the Spartan nation, Every person in Sparta was a Spartan. Uh, every person in a, on a SEAL team is a SEAL. Every ranger in a ranger battalion is a ranger. And it's not like, well, I'm a ranger, and then, well, I'm not a ranger, and uh, I don't really feel like we should be worrying about being a ranger. They're rangers. Why would we try to not be something we're not? If we're, if we're not going to view ourselves as a team, as we're all Americans first, instead of balkanizing ourselves as a society, that's... That's classic history. The more balkanized any nation gets, or any group of people gets, the more splintered it gets, it breaks off and the, the house becomes divided and it always falls. Right, so, you know, we mentioned the SEALs, we mentioned the Rangers, the, uh, the uh, Spartans, of course, we talked about earlier. Also, the uh, Mara Salva Trucha. MS-13, yeah. yeah MS-13 uh, relates to adversity as well. Tell us about that. Man, MS-13, most people, I think a lot of people have heard of it, and a lot of people haven't. They're, uh, they're probably one of the most dangerous gangs in the world. Uh, it's mostly Salvadorans, Hondurans, and Guatemalans, and they're involved in some heinous, heinous things, trafficking of humans, drugs, extortion, murder. But part of their tribal culture as a tribe, lowercase t, is they they act with swift violence for in-group and out-group. Uh, any, any, any transgression against the group, whether it's in the group or out the group, is handled brutally and swiftly. There's no appeals process. And they mark themselves with tattoos all over their face and hands. 
uh, to let everyone else know this is who I am and I, I am no longer an individual. I am a member of MS-13. I am MS-13. So their identity, it's almost like a hive mind and it's lends to more of the concept in advanced Asian cultures, Japanese or Chinese cultures where the group is first and the individual is second and they will suppress the needs of the individual to ensure the group moves forward. And it's, we're a Western nation with the United States. We have a different view of it. Or even in Afghanistan. I remember we would talk to people in Afghanistan. There's three major tribes, uh, the Pashtuns, Sazaras, and the Tajiks. And we were saying, you guys are Afghanis. We're going to do an election. And I remember the Pashtuns would say, oh, no, no, no. I'm not an Afghani. Af What's that? I'm a Pashtun. And the, the Hazara would be like, why? I'm Hazara. And then the other guys would say, Tajiks, I'm not like them. Those guys are, ugh, they're disgusting. Pashtuns are terrible people. And they didn't have a concept. They don't have a national identity. They believe themselves to be their their ethnic in-group, which is the those three tribes. We're, we've allowed that. We. It's, it's happened in American society for years. And, uh, and I do believe it's because we don't have shared suffering. I love that Israel has mandatory military service for all males, 18 to 20. I would love to see something like that implemented. But good freaking luck with that. So many people would be so angry about it. Uh, that they're forced to do something they don't want to do. And we even see that in the resistance people putting up to working out. I've seen people that are over 100 pounds overweight, like complaining, like, oh, I'm never going to work out. That's bad for you. What if I get injured? And they're 100 pounds overweight. It's in, they're, they're, and, they're, and I'll say, start eating this way. They go, that's not good for you. You know, eat, you know, cutting out all those processed carbs can't be good for you. And they're just, they're eating fast food and they're, it's, it's the most painful lack of self-awareness. So I don't, I don't know what the solution is outside of being self-aware and embracing any opportunity to suffer and overcome that adversity. Well, we mentioned the bullet ant ritual yes. that a uh, tribe in South America, I believe, uh, partakes in. And uh, we, we didn't really go in depth into it. We're going to do that today. <laughs> now, can you imagine if they did something like this in the U.S.? I can't imagine it, but I think it would be awesome. So... What this ritual is, it's the Satere Maui tribe in the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. They are one of the first groups of people believed to ever cultivate guarana, uh, like a little bulb or seed that we derive a lot of caffeine from. But they're not an agricultural society. They're a hunter-gatherer society. And there's about 10,000 people in this tribe. And their coming-of-age ritual, starting at about 12 years old, is they bring these young men on a hunt to find the bullet ant. Now the bullet ant is a carnivorous jungle dwelling ant that's as big as like a forest roach. If you guys have seen those in Louisiana and they drug these ants up and weave them into these, these gloves. And these, these kids have to wear these gloves for 10 minutes as they dance through a ritual and chant the entire time. The ants are stinging them with these gigantic stingers. And the sting is 30 times more painful than a bee sting. And that's not where it gets bad. Over the next 24 hours, once they take those gloves off, the poison attacks their nervous system and produces hallucinations and terrible pain where there's nothing that will uh, abate that pain. They have to do this ritual 20 times to be considered a man in this tribe. That sounds harsh, but they don't have any rape, murder, no violent crime, and every single person... Every single young man that goes through those that coming of age ritual is considered a citizen, and uh, 
that powerful identity where we have all shared the same experience that is terrifying and horrible and we've come out as better people as individuals we did it but it coalesces us into a group of strong people so there's no one strong person doesn't make a society but a society of strong people makes a strong society and that's ultimately what their their in-group custom is is to produce a strong society by producing strong individuals does pain training equal pain tolerance and what i mean by that is you said they have to do this 20 times right does it hurt the 20th time as much as it does the first time i've never experienced it but everything i've read and watched videos which i've watched tons of them they uh since it is a, a unique neurotoxin it doesn't produce lasting damage to the nerves so every single time they go through it's just as bad as the first time they just know it's going to suck so i argue it's probably easier the first time you go through it you don't know what to expect but the second through that 20th that's really every single time those guys have to go all right i know how terrible this was last time i i crapped myself in a banana hammock after these ants bit me for 24 hours so let's roll and is this a, a quick thing, 20 times over a year, 20 times over 20 years? How does, how does it work? Uh, it, it, it depends on the custom of the tribe, but some people have done it in as little as a year. Some people will take longer time. Usually by the time these young, young folks are 15, 16, starting at 12, they will have completed all 20. But it's, it's the process. As long as they're in their process and they're in their, their quote-unquote system and they're following the in-group rules, they're still considered... Uh, an ancillary part of the tribe, not a full adult member yet. So, and you never have to do it again. No, no, you don't have to. Now, where it goes, it's just like strong. We've we've said before, like strong women raise strong kids. So strong men raise strong kids. Strong women raise strong kids. They go through it, and then their job at that point is to teach the next generation what they learned. Here's how I overcame this, and empathize. I know this is gonna. You're, you know what? This hurts. I know it hurts. This is what we do. I've done it, and you can do it too because this is who we are. I wonder if eventually, and this is almost, well, actually it is kind of on topic because uh, we said you level up, right? Mm -hmm. I wonder if eventually um, the, the tribe, people in the tribe would evolve to almost become immune to the ant's venom. You know, that's an interesting, I don't know if they've done any genetic testing. That That's interesting, but if you, you can watch videos of some of these uh, Anglo guys, these white white guys that go over there and they'll do it as part of like a National Geographic special. Mm -hmm. And, uh, cause we adapt to our environment, right? You, you yes. see what I'm saying? Like, right. well, you keep having generation after generation. Eventually maybe each generation becomes, it becomes less painful for them. You know, maybe that, but I think that takes a little bit of the romance out of it. Maybe. So maybe that's part of it. Like there are some of us that are equipped where we're adrenaline junkies and, uh, we realize that that excitement we get, that titillation factor from doing something terrifying and dangerous. Yeah, it, it's fun. So, could be, but I would hope that the tribe would eventually figure they're not stupid at all. You know, they're they are they do live in modern times, but I don't know. But I don't think it. it even if it does lessen the uh, pain response, it's not going to be like they're fully immune to it. They still have a functioning nervous system, uh, and this ritual hasn't been going on for more than a couple thousand years. So what, I don't know what the evolutionary adaptation is to that from a biological perspective. I bet it's, we're still probably in the infantile stages of it where it would be negligible and it's still, it looks terrifying. Those yeah. guys don't look like they're enjoying it. No, absolutely not. But it would be awesome to, uh, to get some tests and get all that and see if people are truly adapting in that way.
Right. Yeah, but you know that raises a larger question where are they, they're adapting to it, yes, but as a group. I mean, that, that begs the question that if we're not allowing the individuals in our group to suffer and, and overcome obstacles and adapt, the group never gets stronger. So if that group produces such strong individuals at a certain point and they develop a systemic immunity to that venom, that venom was necessary to get them where they are. The cancer was necessary to get me where I am. You being overweight was necessary to get you where you are. The pain of that. And we all, we need the past pain to produce the future result. Absolutely. Now, uh, the quote that this bullet ant coordinator, I guess we could call him, the, the ritual, the head of the ritual, uh, said, if you live your life without suffering, it won't be worth anything to you. I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, that was our medicine, man. Uh, yeah, man, that's one of, I just, I remember we, we actually watched that together when we were storyboarding this. If you live your life without suffering, it won't be worth anything to you. That is, I think that sums it up. The, the ennui we feel because something didn't go our way. The sweet is never as sweet without the, the painful and sour to give it contrast. And if our life is all roses and steak dinners and mimosas and brunch and like parking spot in the front of the building and air conditioning, then what's after that? Like if our purpose, if we believe in a hereafter and a life after death, or we want to be the best people we can be for future generations, then what's the point of making ourselves as comfortable as possible in every given moment? Right. No, I, I totally agree with that. And we're going to close this episode out with some questions. Uh, we got two, but they're from the same person. It's Tina. She writes in, she wants to know what's our favorite go-to healthy snack. And she also wants to know, why are those blueberry cobbler one bars so dang good? Uh, my, my favorite go-to healthy snack is... Uh, Two scoops, progenics, peanut butter smash, mixed up with cold, cold water. That's my go-to snack because I'm always trying to hit protein. Uh, my second favorite is to hit my carbs. I drink an anti Gator. That's a, a beat of beer, and it's awesome. But yeah. those are my two go-to snacks. Well, see, I eat the same thing every day. Yes. So it's not like I – if I have a snack, it's planned out, right? Right. But, I mean, I, probably chocolate Halo Top, I'd say, is uh, – is my favorite snack. Now, a whole pint, I don't know if you call that a snack or not. It kind of is in my macros. I've got a lot more than most people. So, uh, what about those blueberry cobbler one bars? What's in them to make them so good, but also healthy? Good? I don't know. Yeah. One, I don't know. Those, those, oh yeah, one bars are killer. The birthday cake's good. The blueberry cobbler's great. Uh, you know what? There's probably some scientist that produced some crazy... I don't know, chemical compound that just, I, man, they're good. They're not bad for you at all. They're good for you. They're just, they taste awesome. Shoot, I don't know. I don't even want to know. If we knew, we would have made them, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Evan. Well, I think we had a pretty good discussion on adversity today. Next week, we're talking about why you don't need to be fit to start working out. Why that's such... Yeah. I don't want to offend anybody, but that's such a, a stupid, ignorant statement. Let's go with ignorant. Because I thought well, I think it's was... actually a great segue from where we're at. Uh, when people say, I need to be fit to start working out. I, I'm not going to start doing CrossFit or boot camp or exercising until I'm a little more fit. It's We'll talk about a stall. When somebody's stalling or slow walking. So mm -hmm. I, that's it's going to segue great from uh, the adversity talk we've had today 
to that. So I'm, I'm excited to get delve into that topic next week. That's right. Anything else you'd like to add, Evan? We talk all this talk of adversity is really great theoretical stuff, but practical exercises to produce adversity. Take a cold shower first thing in the morning. Set a timer for one minute, and uh, it takes your breath away. But after a while, you begin to suffer with joy through that. It's never going to kill you, so that's an easy way to produce self discipline. And making yourself work out, I put it on my calendar. It's part of my daily planner every day that I exercise. And uh, that way I can never go, oh, I'll exercise when I have time. If you wait till you have time to do something, you're never going to do it. There's never a perfect time. The perfect time is right now. Absolutely. And it's time for us to go right now. So we'll see you next week on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's making humans better every single Friday. And remember to keep on shining bright like Rick Diamond and Evan Durr. That's right, Rick. Thank you, sir. Let's do it. Making humans better.